to worry about what others think or say about you. Not bad. Life is short. There's no time to leave important words unsaid. Life is short. Enjoy every moment. Or some fun ones I found. Life is too short to remove your USB safely. Kind of fun. Life is short. Eat dessert first. Life is short. Smile while you still have teeth. Now, the rate I'm eating chocolate, that will be me in the future. Now, this is the kind of stuff that our culture will say concerning the shortness of life. But life really is short, isn't it? I mean, do you think that? It turns out Moses, writing this ancient psalm over 3,000 years ago, probably closer to 3,500 years Uh, And he thought that, and he thought it was a good idea for people to take this fact seriously. In verse 12 in our psalm, he says, So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. A few weeks ago, we explored from Proverbs chapter 2, a bit about what it means to seek and gain biblical wisdom and to be a people, according to that uh, Proverbs chapter 2 there, to be a people who truly accept and are willing to accept God's truth and godly instruction in our lives. Now, in our psalm today, it also leads us in the way of wisdom, this time helping you and I to address really some of the bigger questions and and things about life and about death. Showing us what it means to have a wise heart and to truly approach life in a wise way. And so how do we approach life wisely? According to what Moses has said here in verse 12. Well, from our psalm here today, there are really three things that I want to explore with you today about what does it mean to truly uh, live out the way of wisdom and to approach and view life wisely. And so the first thing that Moses encourages you and I to do today is really to truly face our mortality. Now, Moses does this and accomplishes this by making a grand comparison in our psalm. A grand comparison between God and mankind. In verse 2, he describes the eternal nature of God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Being a God who dwells in eternity. The passage of time is of no great hindrance or obstacle for him. Saying in verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are as yet but yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. I mean, can you really fathom that? Think of all that has occurred in the last 1,000 years. Uh, imagine someone coming home one day and saying to their family, Whoa, it's been a pretty big day. Why has it been such a big day, honey? Well, Genghis Khan created the largest land empire in history today. 
the bubonic plague happened in Europe. Martin Luther wrote his 95 theses and sparked the Reformation. Galileo came and went with his telescope. Mozart wrote his first, first sympathy, and the Wright brothers flew their first plane. And that's not even to tell you the half of it. Now, of course, Moses is speaking poetically here to make a point. None with our pea-sized brains can truly fathom the eternal nature of God. Over against this eternal God, a finite, mortal, created people. In comparing God with mankind, we are taught really three things about life and our mortality. First, Moses shows and teaches us about the brevity of life. Uh, When Moses mentions a thousand years here, uh, one has to wonder whether or not he had Genesis 5 in mind. At least it's possible. In Moses' day, in Genesis 5, it, it recorded the longest living human beings, with Methuselah living the longest, living to 969 years old, a few years shy of a millennia. A record that's now well and truly been succeeded by Jesus Christ, whose resurrected body continues to live on in heaven and is well and truly smashed a thousand years now. But in Moses' day, maybe he thought of that person or that chapter that he had wrote when he thought about a thousand years. But in God's eyes, passes in a day. In verse 10, Moses speaks of now how long people tend to live making reference to the years of our life for 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. To truly number our days, then, is really to take heart the brevity of our lives in comparison to this eternal God that has no beginning or end. I think mentally, to some degree, as Westerners in our culture, we tend to understand that life is short. We tend to busy ourselves, hoping to fit as much as we can into our lives. We create our back bucket lists, at least mentally. Of We have our hopes and ambitions, places we'd like to go, things we'd like to experience, perhaps things we'd like to achieve. I mean, one person can achieve quite a lot in 70 years, can't they, if they live that long? A lot happens in that amount of time, doesn't it? Not really, says Moses. Not compared with eternity and God's eternal nature. Not compared with what we would achieve or could do if we didn't die and we did live on. During Moses' life uh, in Israel's wilderness years, Moses saw a whole generation of Israelites come and go. He probably attended many funerals in his day. But not only does Moses speak about the brevity of life, but he also speaks of the fragility of life. How life is fragile. In verse 5 he says, You sweep them away as with the flood. They are like a dream. 
like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. Uh, Moses likens our life to a little blade of grass. Uh, During those years in the wilderness, Moses lived in a semi-arid climate. He would see grass that looked lively in the morning, then was scorched by the sun throughout the day, until in the evening it was faded and it withered away. I think our Western culture likes to put on a brave face, to always adopt a positive attitude. You can do it. Let's not dwell on the negative, we tend to say and think. I just need some more positive, uh, positivity in my life, many think. When we're feeling strong and all is well, we think and feel well, things are going all right. But none of us know what tomorrow brings. The reality is, life is actually extremely fragile. Lastly, in facing our mortality, not only does Moses describe the brevity of life and how it is fragile, he also speaks of the difficulty of life. The second half of verse 10, it reads, Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. And that's a pretty bleak statement, isn't it? Is he right though? Once again, our Western world tends to be so optimistic about humanity and life. Uh, I thought of, uh, I've read recently about some companies thinking about a four-day work week. If only we can work less and have more leisure, then I'll be happy, some believe. The industrial and technological and digital revolutions have delivered us so much. And yet there is so much about life that continues to be hard and difficult. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to recognize the ongoing difficulties life presents to all people. And even if life in your experience is kind of going well, difficulty and toil is really only around the corner. Moses says, if you are truly wise... You'll look life straight in the eye and see it for what it is. Brief, fragile, and difficult. I wonder if you likewise are soberly minded in this way. That you have a true grip on the realities of life. But not only does Moses teach us to really face our mortality... But secondly, he teaches us about the reason for our mortality. Now, this is not the next obvious thing to ask. If life is short, fragile, and can often be quite difficult, why then is it so? Why is life hard? Why do we die? Well, Moses does not leave us wanting here at all. He spells it out plain as day for us. And he doesn't really give us a soft landing either, but says it how it is. From verse 8, it says, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. 
You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We've, uh, yeah, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. Now, if we weren't already, now we kind of really are squirming in our seats this morning. A God of wrath tends not to gel with our culture's concept of God, faith or religion. What? You mean that a God of love has sentenced me and you to eternal death and hellfire because of sin? That all of humanity without God's help is headed to a bleak end? I mean, what kind of loving God is that? That doesn't make sense. What a tyrant he must be. But such a response fails on two accounts. Not only does such an approach fail to know God as he really is, as revealed in his, in his word, but it fails to account for the true state of humanity uh, and what, how, the situation that they find themselves in because of their sin. Failing to take sin seriously as we ought. Failing to see how against the grain sin is in God's original design for us. And how filthy and putrid it is in his sight. The weight of God's wrath against sin is a heavy one. It's the heaviest burden one can face. One that many fail to truly account for or recognize. Now Moses picks up on this in verse 11 when he says, Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? One of the reasons the full force of God's wrath is not considered then by many is because he is, God is patiently holding back his hand. In other words, the full force of his wrath is yet to be brought against this world and sinners. With God patiently and in his common grace, withholding his hand until the full number of his elect are brought into his kingdom. Now, this is not to say that God's wrath is precisely an attribute of God. One ought not say that God is wrath like we would say God is eternal or God is love or God is holy or righteous. Rather, his wrath is an expression of his holy love and his righteous love. The same divine goodness that joyfully brings blessing And save sinners is the same divine goodness that in holy joy brings wrath against the unsaved. Once again, we find ourselves in very deep water concerning the nature of God. This is why it can say in Deuteronomy 28, 63, concerning uh, God's approach to his people for either blessing or cursing. He says, "As, as the Lord took delight In doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. I wonder if you have a heart of wisdom this day. A heart that truly reckons with the reality of your own sinfulness before your maker. And your need to get right with God and to be right with him. I don't know about you, but I find verse 
3, extremely humbling and confronting. As a sinner who knows himself saved by grace, God still says these words to me and to you if you are a Christian. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of men. Even for the Christian who is saved, in this life, God still causes you and I to experience the temporal effects of our sin in our life for the time being. Physical death and frustrations and the difficulties in this life are still on the cards and persist for the time being. Lastly, having spelt out the true nature and cause of our mortality, Moses shows us where and how we can truly find a solution to our mortality. A solution found in turning to the very person whose wrath we face, to God himself. The psalm is titled, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. He spent the first 11 verses spelling out pretty profound theological truth about God and humanity. But it's not until verse 12 that Moses begins to place his prayer requests before the Lord. Verse 13 spells out the obvious need that we have. Return, O Lord, how long? The idea here is that of relent. God, turn away your anger and your wrath away. A bit like asking a high-speed train to suddenly turn itself around and head in the other direction. In verse 14, it speaks of a morning, a new morning. The idea there is of a new morning, a fresh new start. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. In verse 16, Moses requests that God would reveal his redemptive and powerful work to his people and to the generations to come. Now, in his life, to say that Moses kind of experienced a lot with God would be quite an understatement. God appeared to Moses in a burning bush in the wilderness. Moses experienced the wonders of God's judgment against Egypt. How he redeemed his people from out of Egypt in the Exodus. Literally a whole nation of people out of Egypt. Moses spoke to God on Mount Sinai when God descended upon the mountain in a thick cloud, in the lightning and thunder and the fire. After which Moses' face supernaturally shone, having been in the presence of God. Moses saw God's glory manifest itself in the tabernacle when Aaron, his brother, the high priest, offered sacrifices for the first time. All this is recorded in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible. And now, perhaps writing this psalm in Israelites' wilderness experience later in his life, right on the cusp of God's people entering the promised land, Moses is praying here to God, essentially saying, God, do it again and do it more so. I know, O God, that you are a covenantal God who is full of steadfast love. 
who redeems a rebellious people for himself, makes them your treasured possession, and washes clean, them clean of their spiritual filth, and gives them a future. A fellow churchgoer, God has worked again, and even more so in his son, Jesus Christ, sending him to earth to seek and save the lost, to save wretched sinners like you and I, to die that terrible death on the cross and to face the full force of God's wrath in our place so that believers and all who turn to trust in Jesus might not perish but have eternal life. In the man Jesus Christ, God well and truly proved himself to be a God who is full of steadfast love towards lonely sinners. And so I ask you, fellow churchgoer today, do you know the love of God in Christ this day? Jesus really is our only hope. Now in Christ, believers don't need to fear the prospect of eternal condemnation on judgment day but instead face a future of knowing God's eternal, never-ending love of God forevermore. In verse 15, he says, uh, Moses prays and says, Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Now, apparently Moses didn't pray boldly enough here. For according to the promise in 2 Corinthians chapter 4.17, the gospel promises us uh, a glorious eternity that will outweigh even the worst of what we've faced in this life. Where it says there, the Apostle Paul says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. If you are a believer here today, allow the full weight of that glorious promise to sink in. And if you are yet to commit your life to Christ, allow the possibility of it to thrill your heart and lead you to Christ. Look back over your life. Think of all the troubles and difficulties that you've faced. Think of the suffering that you've experienced or have seen. Think of the frustrations and difficulties that life continues to throw at you. And I don't want to downplay their severity in the smallest measure. I know that some of you are going through what you might describe as the absolute pits, to say it mildly. But God says in his gospel and to every believer, none of that even compares in the smallest way to the glory that I have in store for you. You don't deserve my favor, my love or grace, but I have freely given it to you in my son Jesus. I have secured a future for you. And so I ask you this morning, have you experienced a fresh start in Jesus, a new beginning? And if not, will you in faith Turn to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we live in a culture that uh, struggles to face the realities of mortality. We put on a brave face. 
when life doesn't go well. Father, we thank you that in your word you give us very real answers to the difficulties of life. Father, we thank you that in the gospel we have a hope of eternity. And that in the meantime, we live as people that uh, can experience the joy of a life with you. And that, Father, because you are the eternal God who has poured out your steadfast love to us through your son Jesus, that we, can, uh, we have a hope that is beyond ourselves, that is outside of the troubles of this life, that is firmly fixed in you. And Father, as we live this uh, earth, Lord, I pray, Lord, that, uh, that as we walk this earth, that you'd help us to uh, fix our eyes firmly on the hope that we have in Jesus. And that others would see the hope that we have and see that there is something more beyond this life. And that, Father, you promise uh, something glorious in your Son, a, a hope for eternal life that is beyond this life and anything that that can compare with it. And so, Father, we sing your praises for this and we thank you and worship you today for what you've done for us and continue to do in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.